on this episode of Why Watch That. This kind of acting. Like, oh, you know, you have to be worse than that. This is the school of evil. Shut up. And then, you know, Carrie is like, oh, you know, do we all have to be light and good and beautiful? Shut up. She does that too. You can pay me much less. <laughs> the woman who trained her later on, I think it was the final season, she gets this thing and walks out. She's so excited. And this woman comes out of the shadows and goes, bye, and grabs it. Zoe is a wonderful actor. She does a wonderful job here, but she ain't from no Texas. No, she's not. <laughs> I'm going to do this. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Why not? Yes, I will. I'm going to do it. Okay. Move it along. <laughs> you cast Jackie Weaver. <laughs> you can anticipate how that's going to be received. Now, it may not start that way, but eventually you're going, you hire Jackie Weaver. Okay, somebody's going to put their foot down. One of the characters they meet who knew their dad and liked him is played by Sophie. She was his caretaker uh, at the end of his life. But she's like, really? Oh, he was racist? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Welcome to Why Watch That, your guide to the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. We're on a quest to go from channel to channel, platform to platform, and festival to festival to help you figure out what you want to watch. We do all the work so you don't have to. So get ready for some unexpectedly candid and entertaining reviews that will help you answer the ultimate question, why watch that? Welcome to another episode of Why Watch That, where we help you to navigate through all of the content and find something that you'll love to watch. My name's Brandy, the producer, joined by... Chauncey the Critic, as always. <laughs> yes, as always, Chauncey the Critic. And um, I just wanted to let you guys know, you can catch Why Watch That at whywatchthat.com. You can catch us on YouTube. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts or any other place where um, you consume your podcast. So just wanted to let you guys know, um, whatever you're listening or consuming us, those are all of the ways that you can get the Why Watch That Tea. Um, all right, so we're going to jump into this episode, and this is going to be a mixed bag of content, meaning we'll be bringing you movies and TV shows, um, and we're going to start with a movie first look. Um, this movie first look is brought to us by Netflix by the name of The School for Good and Evil. It is uh, starring Sharice Theron and Kerry Washington. Okay interesting so let us know critic who's in this who should be watching and what is it about in that order <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and this is based on a novel of the same name by soman uh Ch chanani okay this is some fantasy stuff you know that's where we are um in addition to who you talked about, Charlize and 
and Kerry Washington. We have a bunch of other people you know, Lawrence Fishburne and Michelle Yeoh and some younger actors. Kate Blanchett is the narrator, you know. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, it starts off with two magical brothers. One is good, one is evil. And the whole thing is they keep balance. And it's really like in fairy tales. So, you know, you have to have the balance of good and evil. As long as that's going on, it's fine. But something happens to make the balance go. They have a little fight. And a new kind of magic is used. Now, we think that one of them doesn't survive. Is that true? What's actually happening here? Then we meet our two main two main characters, um, Aggie and Sophie. So, you know, they're both in this fairy tale sort of town. You know, they ride wagons, you know, through the forest, stuff like that. You know, all right. And none of them really fit. Sophie wants to be, you know, like a princess in a fairy tale. She wants to go away and learn magic and all this other stuff. And Aggie's just her friend who is considered a witch by the locals. So, you know, it's bullying and, you know, spitballing and stuff like that. Well, something happens where... Uh-oh, Sophie is looks like she's being dragged into a specific school. The school that these magical brothers founded. Hmm. Now, is Aggie going to let her get away? No. So they both end up there. You'll see how. But here's the thing. Instead of Sophie going to the school for good, she's sent to the school for evil. Hmm. It's Aggie who gets to go to the school for good. No, 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 no. This has got to be wrong. They have to have made a mistake. Now, the schoolmaster is played by Lawrence Fishburne. Okay, who is he? And he essentially goes, it's not a mistake. We don't make mistakes. And when it comes to Charlize and Carrie, they play the deans of the two opposing schools. Charlize is the dean of the school for evil, and Carrie's the dean of the school for the good. So, of course, you have to do, like, Harry Potter-type stuff and prove yourself, well, kind of like Harry. It's not really like Harry Potter at all. But they're at a school of magic, you know. But they have some little tweaks on on the story. Like, if you fail three times, something happens. Because, really, you are learning how to become a protagonist in a fairy tale. So what kind of fairy tales do they pull from? You know, they're kids of certain popular fairy tales, the characters in there. Stuff like that. So, of course, you're going to see what happens if you fail three times. But the whole mission now is for Sophie to go to the school for good. She's in the wrong place. So is Aggie going to help her with that? How can she? Well, there's one thing that can happen if Sophie finds her true love and they kiss. Then that'll rectify the whole situation. So what's going to come of that? Because there is a reason why they've been dragged here and why they've been placed in the two schools they're in. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So the real question is, is good really good? Is evil really evil? That kind of thing they're playing around with. And they're trying to play around with what we come to have, what we have come to expect from fairy tales. Um, now, let me just go right to the acting to start from the adults the adult characters and actors. Um, This is the kind of thing that, you know, when you've established established yourself as an actor and you can command, you know, like a million dollars for a movie and and, and multiples, you just pinch yourself and go, I can't believe I'm in this and they're paying me to do this. Mm -hmm. Literally, some of the acting from Charlize and, and Carrie is like, 
did you just read the script and just start acting? Like, I'm in a fairy tale. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you know, it's this kind of acting. Like, oh, you know, you have to be worse than that. This is the school of evil. Shut up. And then, you know, Carrie is like, oh, you know, do we all have to be light and good and beautiful? Shut up. She does that, too. You can pay me much less <laughs> to do at least as much as they did. At least. Oh, my God. I was just like, no. Now, the thing is, if you're going to go there, I would say they need to go further. If you're going to do that, like, even what I did was doing them justice, to be honest. It was a little tepid. What I thought was, though, that Lawrence Fishburne came the closest to it because the thing about Lawrence is, as a stage actor, like a trained stage actor, his voice is in the right place. So he's talking like this. That's what you have to do. You have to open up if we're going to be in this fairy tale. Welcome to, you know, that kind of thing. Then, okay, I can go with you. But Michelle, y'all didn't know why she was in this. They completely wasted her. And it's kind of funny because in the end you see she's like this teacher who teaches teaches them how to smile and all this other stuff. And then like there's a comment on that. I'm like, no, that didn't work either. Now, outside of that, I would say stylistically, if you're a once upon a time kind of person that show on ABC, this is probably something you might like. I would say in the opening of this, it's brisker than that show. And it has slightly better effects, I would say, in comparison Again, if you're thinking Harry Potter, no, I wouldn't compare it to that at all. I think that when it started, it was at its best. I was like, okay, I can go along with them. Even, you know, some of the cheap acting tricks, whatever, I, I get it. But it's just too long. It's like over two hours. Are you serious? So the longer you go, the less magic it has on the screen. Of course, there's magic in the story, but it just loses whatever it started with. I think that also in the end, they're trying to subvert this genre. But a, a lot of times when people do this stuff nowadays, they do it in a way that is so overdone. They say the same things everyone's saying in regard to this stuff where it's it no longer holds meaning. It's cliche. I'm overhearing it. It's tiresome. Like write something new. Write something interesting. My goodness. So I wish they would have embraced the gray more in between good and evil. They tried it. And then they try to end on a note like, what is real love? That ain't real love either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just uh, like, you just proved in this story that you can't always rely on that either. I did not like, I don't understand. It could have been. Um, just more gray in the proceedings, more thinking about that instead of going, oh, we're going to subvert this genre. Like in a cheap way, no. And in the end, it does end on a black and white note, even though it's a different kind of black and white. But you still have an opening for a sequel, of course. So if you're a once upon a time type person, I would say give it a shot. Um, I can't speak on the book. I haven't read it. Uh, but that's what I, that was what I was thinking, like from the opening moments producer i was going once upon a time mm -hmm. so there you go now to end it some fun stuff so you know you have all these kid actors there to school and you get those different types you know the evil kids and the the good kids and what are their powers and all this stuff but if you are a fan of teen witch mm. <laughs> 
Sophie, so one of Sophie's sidekicks in the School of Evil, he looks just like the brother from Teen Witch. I, I was like, it can't be him because Teen Witch is from the eighties. Like yeah. that was like there was even a moment. I don't even know if they were nodding to this. There was a moment when he was eating something and there was stuff on his face, just like that. <laughs> that brother. Okay, yeah. so top that. Well, stop that. <laughs> I don't really give a about trying to top that. They say now, producer, that these youngins are like getting into that again. What's old is new. <laughs> Teen Witch. I'd rather watch Teen Witch again. <laughs> With old girl from Poltergeist who gets, you know, the frog turns into like the yes. prince and that whole thing. I, that was more that was more effective than this. And the teacher, like the scene with the teacher when she makes him, you know, strip and all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Much more fun. <laughs> there we go. Louise. Maybe that's a maybe that's a movie night producer. Maybe. Start with this and then go to Teen Witch. <laughs> and you'll see. He looks just like that brother. Okay. That's enough said on this. TV series premieres. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna you want to give us your reaction to Teen Witch producer? Come on now. Come on. I keep you know songs and dances in the locker room. <laughs> you know, come on. We'll leave Teen Witch where where it was and move on to a new <laughs> a new era in time. Yeah. Teen Witch. All right. Um, TV series premieres. Um, this one is brought to us by PBS and titled Magpie Murders. Yeah. What is Magpie Murders? Who's in it? What is it about? I wonder. <laughs> now, the cast they have here is a, a great British cast. It really is. Um, the cast is led by Leslie Manville. Um, who I will never forget in Harlots. I'm sorry. Never. As the madam in Harlots. Well, the rival madam, I should say. Just hilarious work. And when her, the woman who trained her later on, I think it was the final season, she gets this thing and walks out. She's so excited. And this woman comes out of the shadows and goes, mine, and grabs it. I Like, I will, like, ever. I will never forget that. It was so funny. And of course, in uh, other you know, shows and movies. Leslie is, uh, you know, Oscar nominated and wonderful actor. Uh, Conleth Hill is also in it, who is widely around the world known as Varys in Game of Thrones, of course. Mm -hmm. And we have Tim McMullen and others. Uh, so the interesting thing here, producer, is it is based on a book and uh, the author of the book wrote the series, which typically is a good sign. Mm -hmm. right so i was like okay like he's adapting his own work cool with that um now whenever we deal with murders and it's the brits you start thinking of two classic suspects right agatha christie and sherlock holmes right that mm -hmm. that's what comes to mind how close is this to that is it at all what's going on well i'll talk about it um so what we have really is two different timelines one is real and another is fictional hmm. so leslie plays an editor a book editor and she has this huge client played by conleth you know he's 
the kind of author you want to keep so you can pay the rent. Like he makes sure that the business keeps going. And what's happening is the head of this um, editing shop, this publisher, he's retiring. He wants Leslie's character to take over. Is she down with that? Right. She has a boyfriend and all this stuff and, you know, changes are afoot. Does she just want to be an editor? Because the publishing house is going to be bought out, but she'll be at the head. Is This is a career, you know, it's a great boom for her career. Is that what she wants to do? But they really are focused on this author. Without this author, then the deal's not going to go through. That's the issue. Now, he has a new book coming out. She's eager to read it. She gets that manuscript. As she reads, she gets to the end. Where's the final chapter? I mean, what's a whodunit without the final chapter? <laughs> My gosh. You know, it's not worth the ink it's printed, the, the, the paper it's printed on, right? That whole kind of thing. So we come to find out that this author is widely reviled by people. People love his, you know, writing, but anybody who meets him has a problem. And he ensures that that's the case. And we see this as he moves forward. He's kind of like a Scrooge. Why? And this final book with, you know, his main character, this detective. In this final book, the detective, you know, he gives him ill health. What's that about? Why was that choice? Is he going to kill this guy off? And the characters in the book mirror people he knows in his local town. So maybe there's a motive for not getting this book printed. Maybe there's something in that final chapter because this author ends up dead. Is it foul play or did he just fall is the question. Now, wait a minute. He's dead. Where's the final chapter? They don't know. This whole deal has to go through. Uh, excuse me, Leslie's like, I've got to get down to the bottom of this. So does she become the detective in the real world? Now, we also have the story of the book. We see this play out. It's in the 1950s. You know, and we have this, of course, great, brilliant Sherlock Holmes-like detective played by Tim, Atticus Poond. So Atticus also has to get to the bottom of some sort of mystery, right? So you have these two parallel tracks. Essentially, you have a small town period piece mystery within the classic or within a spirited bookish modern mystery is what I would say. So small town mystery. Again, in a, okay, larger, real mystery. So how does this work? Does it all fit together? Will we like one of the stories better than the other? These are the kinds of challenges that you have to overcome if you're writing this. And uh, the writer's name is Anthony Horowitz. So when I was watching it, I thought to myself, because they, they start, it's different from the book um, he was saying, the Anthony was saying, where in the book, he was saying that because I haven't read it, that he starts really like the first half of the book is just the whole 1950s story that's being written. And then you're introduced to Leslie's character in the second half. And he was saying he couldn't do this in a TV show. So he had to figure out a way to introduce both. I think in all we've seen so far as the first episode, I think that he cracked the code on that. 
from the beginning, there was there was a spirit to it, like I was saying before, with what Leslie was doing. I enjoyed that. They had a nice pace to it. You know, there was a nice energy flowing. I didn't mind learning about her backstory along with how she was going to deal with the challenge of editing this book. I think all of it clicked into place, even the publishing house being bought. Like, none of that, I didn't say any of it was extraneous. I wanted to know everything they were saying. I think it was all good necessary information. And then when we got to the actual story being played out, I liked the change of pace. It wasn't too drastic. It was just right. I think they calculated this correctly. So, so far, I would say so good. You get some of the classic trappings of uh, murder mysteries from the book story. You get a little tweak on it from the actual story that's encapsulating it. I think if you're a fan of Agatha Christie, it might pique your interest. Of course, this whodunit, you have all of these different people who could have killed him in the real world and then committed that murder in the story's world. But then you also have the Sherlock Holmes kind of thing with these detectives. And then what's it going to be like for an editor to be a would-be detective as well? Because she's going to get down to the bottom of this. So I just think there are a lot of pieces he put into place that are clicking early on. The question is, will it continue to click for five more episodes? I think so. I think with this author adapting his own work, he's already proven he can do it in one episode. I don't see why it would all of a sudden be derailed. Plus, you have a spot on Leslie Manville, as always, and the rest of the capable cast. So if you're a murder mystery kind of person um, and you don't like it too dark, I would say definitely check out Magpie Murders. It is why we have Masterpiece on PBS. This is why we have it this kind of show all right look at that now we're yeah. gonna head over to our hey TV. if you do good stuff i'll say it i know i know listen if you don't i'll that. say it that's why we love the credit that why watch that because he'll say it yes we'll see if you keep loving me we'll keep going <laughs> <laughs> we love the authenticity as you know the word yes. of the content creation year um mm -hmm. tv sneak peeks is our next category um this one is entitled from scratch um brought to us by netflix starring oh zoe zeldana and keith david that's an interesting combination <laughs> i put that in the notes just for you so you can say your boy keith david <laughs> <laughs> Tell us your story about Keith David and keep it PG. Very PG. Well, you know, it's not Keith. Keith, unfortunately, just is a, you know, what is it? A, what is it? A war, what is it, casualty of war in this story. It was his friend. <laughs> I, you know, you know, us, us creative folks sometimes have to uh, supplement our income a lot of times in the hospitality industry um, by the way of waitering or catering, depending on where you are. And so at some point, you know, I'm doing these events, these uh, <laughs> these catering events, and Keith, I was Keith David would be at like I don't know all of them, like I don't know maybe every every other one I was catering at that time he was there. He would always bring a friend that was always trying to get some some extra <laughs> on the side. That's all I'm gonna say about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, but there's also out. Requiem for a Dream. Requiem 
for a dream. And that's and see, that's the challenge. That's what I really mean by keep it PG. <laughs> I know. That's exactly. And that's the that's funny because you know you think of Keith David if you know Requiem for a Dream. You think of that moment where he you know tells you that he was not looking for air. Um, <laughs> And <laughs> then he had this friend, and so it was just a weird kind of experience. But yeah, <laughs> yes. but Keith David is a wonderful actor, and oh, you know, yeah. he is doing his job maybe too well, but he does it. Yes, for real. No, so, yes, he's let's... not doing anything like that in this. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> okay. Good. Yes. All right. So, what should we expect from a uh, from scratch? Not Requiem, no, thankfully. Good. Even though no. I love Requiem, but who doesn't? I, I mean, love that well, movie. Yeah. Look, <laughs> that's a great movie. If you want to be disturbed, that will do it. I went to Ellen yeah, Burstyn. Oh, yes, yes. Marlon Wayans, like, yes. yeah, yeah. Jared Leto and and Jennifer Connelly. Mm. That's a great. Film. Unforgettable. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Show that in high school. It'll it'll mm. scare some people straight. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What was that chant? They oh no, before we we're so derailing at this point. What was that chant that she was? You are derailing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that, know that chant when she was watching that TV show. There was this chant that they would yes, say. Yes, yes. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, anyway, all right. What's from scratch? <laughs> so this will be coming to us on Friday, October twenty first. First, all episodes, all eight. And I've seen all eight. I have finished the whole thing. Um, so it's created by Attica and Timby Locke. It is uh, based on Timby's memoir of the same name. Okay. So what happens is Zoe plays Amy. And um, Amy goes to Italy. Now, she is in law school. She leaves it to go to Italy because she really wants to be an artist. She wants to study there. She pays her own money. Her father's played by Keith David. He is a lawyer. What does he think about that? Now, while in Italy, she meets two Italian guys. She's in Florence. One of them has a lot of money. His family owns an art house uh, played by um, one of the people who was in, uh, what's that medical show? Grey's Anatomy. And the other is a chef. Now, she ends up with the guy with the money. The chef. No. I know. <laughs> yes, okay. Not in the, not in the beginning. Not, we'll not. see where it gets. <laughs> so she starts dating him because she meets him, then she meets the chef, and it's kind of like, oh, which one? You know, I don't know. And she's trying to express herself as an artist. She's there to learn as well. Now, you know that they say that if you can cook, well, then you might find your way into people's hearts. So can Lino, the chef, cook his way into Amy's heart? Well, you know where this is going to go. Now, this also there's also a clash, clash of cultures, right? She's American. He's Italian. How is that going to be received? Right? So what happens is eventually we go from Italy to L.A. We meet Amy's family, and her full name is Amache, but We meet her whole family, along with Keith David, her sister, who's played by Danielle Deadweiler. Uh, Danielle, by the way, was really broke out in The Heart of They Fall, that uh, Western that was on Netflix last year with Regina King and, you know, a whole bunch of other people. So here she is, and she's playing uh, Emmett Till's mother in the movie Till that's out right now. Mm. So that's her. 
So she's a sister. Now, as the sister, she's always protected Amy. You know, Amy comes to her with all of her problems, but does does she reciprocate is the question. So she, the sister, is established in L.A. Amy moves in with her with who else? And she tries to build a life, of course. Now, they also have a complicated family because Keith David, the father, he's married to their stepmother who helped raise them. What about their real mother? That's an interesting relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, their uh, real mother, biological mother, is played by Kalita Smith. So there you go with that. Now, Kalita was uh, Bernie Mac's wife Mm -hmm. in his show. So she's in here. She has all kinds of potions and powders and certain ways of eating food, you know, that kind of person. And she has no qualms with, you know, asking uncomfortable questions and being rude. So, you know, the two daughters are like, calm down, mom. And how does she interact with the stepmom? Hmm. So you got all of that going on in their family. But what about Lino's family as well? He's got a father and a mother and a sister, and they're all about family. He left his family in Sicily to be a chef. How is that received? His father's a farmer. He has land. What do you think he expected from his son? So we see how their relationship progresses, and they do face a lot of challenges, particular health chan- uh, particularly health challenges. So you'll see what happens with all of that without me giving it away. Now, you might be thinking, is this like eat, pray, love in a way? You know, you go to Italy, you fall in love. You know, that one section of eat, pray, love. In the beginning, it it echoed that a bit. That's what I would say. It's like a younger eat, pray, love, not Emily in Paris. If we're thinking of that, no, no, uh -uh, not that kind of young. So this is a romance, not a rom-com. It has drama. It has some uh, just tinges of comedy, but it really is a drama, a romance, a light drama, I would say, with ups and downs. Uh, Now, in the end, I think they milked it a bit. Like the final episode, I was like, okay, we're really milking this. I don't know that I needed all of that. I got it. Uh, You know, because when you have health scares and all of that, like you'll see, I don't know that we needed that full final episode. I wasn't sold on that. Um, does this have execution problems at times? Yes, it does. Um, this whole family with Amy, they're from Texas. Did I believe that Zoe was from Texas? Not for one second, not at all, not for a split second. I believed everybody else. <laughs> not her. I'm sorry. And Zoe, I think Zoe is a wonderful actor. She does a wonderful job here, but she ain't from no Texas. No, she's not. <laughs> I get it though. I get it, because her Italian is beautiful, like it like the acting is great, but not the Texas. No. Mm. Um, you know, the writing, rough spots, yes. But it's just a smooth and easy watch. For fans of this genre, like you're not gonna be disappointed by it. I would say I think it's it's interesting when they're releasing this producer October twenty first. I would probably release it in November. Because mm. to me, it's a romantic drama for the holidays. You know, people will get a good cry out of it, even though they milk it too much at the end. Like, it's that kind of thing. It's just interesting. I would ask them why they're releasing it on October 21st before Halloween. Halloween, yeah. That's an interesting question. Because they even go through holidays. They go through, Mm -hmm. they have a Thanksgiving, they have a Christmas. I just think I would have put it in November, 
but I don't know. So just think of it that way. You may want to wait if you want to experience it that way um, until November to watch it. Okay. Not Texas. Not I'm, Texas. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Everybody else, yes. Not, not Zoe. And I think Zoe did a great job as usual, but no. I Like, come on. You're not, you aren't buying it? No. No. <laughs> No. Oh my goodness! Speaking of like, how is she it, sisters with Danielle, who has a southern uh, dialect? It's just kind of like, but you can walk right on past that. Everybody, you really can. It won't matter that much. It's just, it was just always in the back of my head. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't just like it though. You know, yeah. it does what it needs to do for uh, the people who want to watch this. It really does. Yeah. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I mean, from scratch, you know. I dig anything with food in it, so I'll probably watch it. Yeah, you get all the food. You get all the food. I didn't yes. give a lot away. I really didn't. I'm holding <laughs> stuff back. You'll see what happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. I mean, you know, title, like a title from scratch. Now it's like, oh, this will be interesting to see how they use that in the food. Use yes. of this. And you'll yeah. also see what happens if you have great food and people refuse it. Like stuff like that. Mm. It's like, are you really not going to eat that? I guess not. <laughs> like, could they really not accommodate your diet? I don't know. Like, all you have to do is say, I don't eat this. And then somebody can make it for you. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Things aren't that difficult in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know all about that. Let's move forward before you start going. Yes, indeed. All right, guys. And before we move forward, we want to talk about um, talk about coffee, Italy, Tamasu, right? What does that have to do with why I watch that? We are <laughs> now available on buymeacoffee.com. Uh, Buy Me A Coffee is a platform where you can support the work we do here at Why Watch That for as little as $5. Or um, by purchasing one of our digital TV guides, you can support us. Um, and like we always say, listen, supporting us at Buy Me A Coffee with as the critic says, the money that folds versus jingles is definitely appreciated. Um, but also a subscribe, a like, a share, um, or a comment is equally appreciated. So however you want to support us, we're grateful. We have You have options, though. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have The Peripheral, uh, brought to us by Prime Video, also coming out on October 21st. Um, but these guys are not going to give us all of the episodes at once. They're going to make us wait every week um, to kind of see it unfold. So, Critic, should we, who should be watching this? Who's in it? And um, is this something that we should wait until the end to binge or like just kind of flow with the schedule that they've kind of set up for us? Yeah, that, that is a good question. Um, I'm going to say it depends. I really would say it depends. There's a reason they're releasing it weekly uh, because it's exec executive produced by Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan's brother and Lisa Joy, um, who's Jonathan's wife. And they work together. They've done Westworld, that kind of thing. But they're executive producing. They're not show running. So it's that kind of thing where do you want to wait and let it be revealed? Or do you want to watch it all together? Now, I've seen the first six episodes. They were made available for review. For review. So I haven't seen the final two of the season. And the second season is in development. So you know what they think of it. 
So here's what's happening here. It is based on the book of the same name by William Gibson, you know, a towering figure in uh, sci-fi circles. Um, so follow this with me, please. Chloe Grace Moretz plays Flynn. And Flynn has a mother and a brother she lives with. And this is 10 years in the future. So it's 2032. And her brother is played by Jack Rayner. Um, his name is Burton in the show. And mom has an illness. She's sick. She's lost her sight. You know, it's terminal. What you have to keep in mind also about this family is, for Burton, he was a soldier. He was a Marine. So he's had to deal with being reacclimated into society. Are there any lingering issues? You know, so Flynn's kind of in the middle, having to take care of him, having to take care of mom. Does he help out? Yes. But can he help out fully? You'll see. Now, the way they make money, because it's hard 10 years from now, the economy and so on, is via VR. So they have virtually virtual reality headsets. They play games for wealthy people to get them to certain levels, make their money that way. Now, Flynn is great at it. So sometimes she takes over for her brother. It's his avatar. They don't know it's her. Why is that the case? Why is that necessary? Now, what happens is Burton gets a job, a big one, that's going to pay big time, set them up for months in advance. He needs her to go into this new headset. It's a different kind of technology. She'll still be him, but you know, she has the expertise for it. And she meets a certain person who's in her head guiding her, like the voice of God. And this is completely different from what she's seen before in these simulations. It feels too real. Why is this the case? And she ends up going through a series of tests, which are very difficult. Now, keep in mind that if your mind is in a body, maybe not your own, but if it's in there and something happens to the body and you can feel it, that's via the mind, is there any difference between feeling it in a virtual body or feeling it in your own? They ask these kinds of questions. And is it a virtual body she's in? So she goes through all of these tests, harrowing journey. She ends up embroiled in this whole big, you know, I don't even know, huge conspiracy. Supposedly, it's believed that after this big fight she's in, as a result of meeting this person, she gets out of it, but supposedly she's stolen something. Stolen what? And they're after her. Now, what happens is this, this new job, connects her to events 70 years in the future. So we're dealing with really two main timelines. They bounce around the 70 year split mark. But there you go. And it's in this future London. And in this future London is Gary Carr's character, Wilf. And Wilf is looking for somebody. Her name is Alita. Why? And he's not alone. It's a whole you know consortium of people who are doing this kind of thing. So they're trying to use Chloe's character, Flynn, to get to Alita. Why? How does all of this connect? And there are other people 
looking for Flynn and Alita. And as you go through the season, you see more and more of them. So these events 70 years in the future will have effects on 2032. Like maybe Flynn and her family are in mortal danger because of this. How can people from the future, though, affect you in the present? How is that possible? What is going on? And even outside of the people 70 years in the future, there are people that they have to contend with in their own timeline. There's a crime boss they got to watch out for. And other people who pop up. Now, keep in mind, I said that Burton is a Marine. But it's a future sort of Marine. Like, they deal with haptics. Now, if you don't know what haptics are, imagine this to keep it simple. When you go to a movie theater and, like, they show something, something on the screen and the seat rumbles, that's how haptics work. So, but instead of a seat, it's implanted in the body. So how could they use that to connect a bunch of Marines? I'm not going to answer that question, but that's where it's going. So that kind of technology is a through line in this show. Now, in addition, okay, so we know Burton has all of his Marine brothers. They're all there. How do they pop up? How does that work? And one in particular made a major sacrifice. He's a triple amputee. How did that happen? And that's Eli Gorey's character. Hmm. Now, if you're thinking who's Eli Gorey, he played uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, in One Night in Miami. So that's him. Mm -hmm. So he plays a role here as well. And then you have Flynn's friend. She works with her. And this friend has a husband who is the nephew of the crime boss. So can Flynn talk to her? Will she tell the husband? Will the husband tell the crime boss? You know, this whole stew starts to get mixed up. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's as simple as I can make it without spoiling. Look at how I did that. <laughs> We're in North Carolina here. You know, everybody has some sort of Southern dialect. Is it North Carolina? No, I don't know. It's Southern. It's Southern. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. <laughs> Maybe they could go into from scratch and do Texan as well. I have no idea. Um, what I would say aesthetically, it's what you would anticipate from the Nolans. That's what I would say if you make it a virtual reality kind of show, whatever it is, because I didn't really explain what it really is. Mm -hmm. I haven't read William Gibson. He's on my list to read, but that doesn't really mean much. Everybody's on my list to read. <laughs> but what I did liken it to from what I have read is Neil Stevenson's work, like Snow Crash, that kind of thing. But it doesn't have the humor from Neil Stevenson. It's more dramatic thriller. Do you have to pay attention? Yes, because they don't come in and tell you, exactly how everything works. You got to pay attention and figure it out, which from what people have said after reading the book, that's how the book is. You're just thrown in. Now, the question is what's real, what's not. Also, what does it mean to be real? Like they're asking those kinds of things. It is a very interesting premise. The question is, can they reach that level at all times in the show? It's always difficult when you have an, just an amazing premise and you make it a TV show. Hard to do. From the start, I was interested. I thought the first episode did its job. I was like, okay, let's see where this is going. After that, it was in and out. 
for me. The problem, I think, for this show is they're trying to develop these relationships, which is fine, but you can't develop them outside of attaching it to the plot and the premise. Sometimes we have moments where I was like, I don't need to know this, and I don't care to know it. I don't care at all. Just too many unnecessary back and forths. I'm going to do this. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Why not? Yes, I will. I'm going to do it. Okay. Move it along. <laughs> we have enough conflict here. We don't need that. Also, my main problem when it comes to characterizations was Flynn's friend and her husband. I didn't need them at all. I don't think it added anything. They try to do it, but then when you actually see what comes to fruition of that, again, I've seen maybe they do something in the final two episodes. I don't know. But from what I've seen in the first six, I was like, I don't need either of them. This is once again when we get into writing cliches and I'm done. Like her friend is every time somebody has a problem with her or something, she goes, is it because I'm a, I'm a woman? Literally. And then the thing is, she ends up being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> actually no it's not we know it's not and you're wrong <laughs> that was annoying it is just banal nonsense you could spend those lines telling us something interesting about this character instead of writing that anybody could write that anybody anybody could write better and you'll it, then okay so you want us to be annoyed by her is that the point You'll see, like, it, more than once she says this. Like, the, the, the second time this is big event, I'll call it that. Mm. What, you don't think I could do it because I'm a woman? No. That's weird. <laughs> it has nothing but to do okay. with it. <laughs> and then her husband is just a moron. Mm. Do I need them? <laughs> so it's just things like that. This is, you spent... As little time as you have to put things on the screen and the right lines, that's what you decided. This is what I'm tired of. I'm tired of it. We know you're a woman. Why are we saying this in these shows and movies now? Everybody's doing it. Like, after a while, I'm like, I'm waiting for it. Go ahead and say it. We are not dumb. It is so much more interesting to not say it. You know what? I'm going to give you an example. Raising Canaan. Right? Patina Miller is a crime boss. She never says it's because I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Omar Epps' partner, she's a woman. Like There was a moment in this season when they had an opportunity. I was like, oh, are they going to do it? Are they going to give her the woman line? And they didn't. She was like, everybody thinks I'm in this job because of my father. Oh, so much more interesting. Mm. Any other show would have been like, you know, they don't think I could do this because I'm a woman. It's tired. Mm. Gosh, I'm going to start saying, y'all don't like what I'm saying because I'm a black man. It's because I'm black. <laughs> now, we don't hear that, do we? Is it because I'm black? <laughs> See, when I say that, everybody laughs. <laughs> you, you have probably problem me talking about women because I'm black. <laughs> We're better than this. So there you so go. Who like, be, and who, okay. Go ahead. Let's like, get us back on track. Who should be watching? Should we be are watching? on track. Because they put it on in their show. They did it. And I'm commenting on it. I don't have a problem with it. I have no problems with it. I like Raisin Caden. You see? No problem. You've got to honor my time and not be stupid. It's just bad 
writing. Writing. Every time, right down the line. How many times are you going to say this? Because it now has no meaning. Yeah. I didn't need them. Now, uh, outside of that, is there enough here to get excited about? I don't know. Hmm. I think there might be enough um, to interest people who are into sci-fi. Like if that's your genre. Mm -hmm. There were moments when I was interested. There were. Like when they really link into the premise, explaining that, how does this work? It was interesting. I wasn't riveted, but I was interested in what was going on. Um, so there were times when I was like, I'm not going to keep watching this, but I did. I kept watching and I think I'll finish, uh, when the final two episodes are available. So it's not that it's bad. It's just don't waste our time when you have all of this stuff you can be exploring. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. It's disrespectful. And I'm gonna call it out every single time because I'm black. Thank you for letting us know that. Because I, I was hate what unclear. I said. Is it because I'm black? I was a little <laughs> unclear, but thanks for clarifying. I'm, um, I'm just doing what they do. All right. We're going to move Sneak peeks. The first movie sneak peek that we have is uh, American Murderer. American Murderer is um, going to be in theaters. Friday the 21st and available on demand on the October the 28th. So a week later. Um, all right. What is, I mean, we can guess what it's about, but specifically what is American murderer <laughs> about? Like the title kind of, <laughs> it's not like some guy going on a murdering spree. Like you, you would think that this is some sort of serial killer. Or so. It's not that, but it is based on a true story. Um, it, it tells us the story of Jason Derrick Brown, who is still at large from the FBI. Mm. All right, Jason. Now, it is directed and written by Matthew Gentile, or Gentile, if he says it in Italian, I don't know. It stars Tom Pelfrey, Idina Menzel, Ryan Phillippe, Jackie Weaver, Chantel Van Santen, and others, Moises, uh, Arias, good cast. Mm -hmm. Now, we start the movie with Jason going to a pawn shop. And like, he gets out of his car, he looks in the window of his car and does a smile just to check himself. What is going on? Like, is he about to rob this place? And the way he walks up to the proprietor, it's just like, what is going on with this dude? But he does have something to pawn. Why? And eventually it becomes an urgent exchange for him. Another car pulls up and he starts going, oh, just give me my money. Do you have a way out back? What's happening? Now, this is set in 2004. Uh, Utah is prominent here as a location. And we come to find that Jason is a con artist. Now, we find this out because he's being investigated for the titular murder. Murder of whom, in what circumstance, why? And there's an FBI special agent on the prowl played by Ryan Phillippe. So he's going around interviewing people. In particular, he starts with Idina Menzel's character, who's a woman who has history with Jason. She lived across the way from him, and she leased him the house he was living in. 
Now, she has a young son. He was great with the son. Was he great with her? And does she help out this special agent? That's a question. So we see that relationship develop. Now, Jason also has a sister and a brother and a mother. Now, the sister's played by Chantel, and she loves her brother. She loves Jason. Jason couldn't hurt a fly. Of course, the agent comes to her and is like, you know, where's your brother? She's like, you don't understand. When we were kids, he, you know, he was just an emotional kid. He was a nice guy. He would cry at the drop of the hat. We see how he uses that to his advantage. Now, his brother, well, they were in cahoots when they were younger. The brother chose a different path, but why was he allowed to choose that path? And does Jason hold him accountable for his own path? And is there anything his brother can do to apologize for that? There's a question. Now, his brother has a wife and kids and all that kind of stuff. How did they receive Uncle Jason? When it comes to Mama, played by Jackie Weaver, Jason hasn't talked to her in years. Now, there's a reason why he goes to her, because people are after him. After him for what? You can guess. So why would he go to Mama? How she received that? Now, when you cast Jackie Weaver, <laughs> you can anticipate how that's going to be received. Now, it may not start that way, but eventually you're going, yeah, hire Jackie Weaver. Okay, somebody's going to put their foot down. And this leads to him having to commit this murder. These people are after him. He's got to get money. Who does he murder? Does it pan out the way he wanted? And again, in the real world, they still haven't found him. So we know where this is going to end. All right. This movie's best when the stakes are high. You know, when he's being chased or trying to get money. That's when it works. Because the dialogue matters less in those moments. Outside of that, the scenes, the, the scenes just seemed empty and abrupt. A bit blunt. The characters were pretty generic. Uh, and it was just baffling for a movie that's based on a true story. Like, they didn't seem like people. They seemed like stereotypes. Also, I wanted more cat and mouse out of it. I know that they haven't found him. I just wanted that energy. Like, is the agent getting close or not? They were saying it. It wasn't being shown. It just wasn't set up correctly. When it comes to Tom as Jason, I think he does everything he can to bring personality to this entire movie. He does everything possible. You cannot blame him. And I think casting Jackie Weaver as his mother was very smart. Like, when they were together... Okay, we can get out of the cat and mouse stuff because mm. it was some strong acting. I would put it that way. Not that the other actors are bad per se. I think Ryan was a cardboard cutout in this, though, as the agent. They could have just had a voiceover. <laughs> like, it wouldn't have mattered. Okay. Because, like, when you have writing like this, you got to work more as an actor. You just do. It's not that special. Uh, now, when Moise shows up as one of the uh, people who encountered Jason, like, Moise is just interesting looking at him, period. You know, he shows up, he sees the FBI at his door, what does he do? 
<laughs> that kind of thing. He's coming from the grocery store. And I love it when, you know, every in these movies and TV shows, they have a paper bag coming from the grocery store. I've never seen that before in my life. <laughs> People walking back with one bag of paper bag, you know, with stuff coming out of it. It's just, like, hilarious. And you know what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Like, if they're carrying it, you know what's going to happen to it. Yeah. It's just hilarious. No one does that. I'm not <laughs> like is this Mayberry <laughs> like you should be waving to the neighbors hey hey Tom hey Jack how are you that's hilarious but there's one bag in there anyway so again it's at it's best when he's going after money or being chased <laughs> but don't expect more from that I would put it to you this way everybody if this is your thing it's like a, tri- a, a true crime TV movie that would pop up on a streaming platform you know how if you go to a streaming platform producer of like networks they don't air these movies it's just right. on their platform it's just there. Uh-huh. yeah like if you go to epics or stars maybe showtime you go oh i didn't know they had this it's that this kind of thing of mm-hmm. so if you're into that where you discover like you know movies that are whatever on those platforms that would be this so would i go to the theater to see that well what do you think would i rent it on demand what do you think I would anticipate that it would be on some sort of streaming platform at some moment and I would catch it then. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. There yeah. See it. the producers going, I'll wait for it to be on one of those platforms and then I'm going to watch it. I yes. am. <laughs> this is, this is my type of ridiculous. Yes. Content. And you know, he's, he's also, a charmer. Love, You'll see the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous, you know, with the frosted mm-hmm. hair and, <laughs> all right now if people do want to see this on mm-hmm. demand where would they see it probably anywhere where you rent movies that's what they mean right. by that mm-hmm. you know so you could go to you go to amazon you can go to apple you know like a cable wherever network else. or something might have it somewhere like, oh any i got it streaming yeah anywhere where you can like, rent <laughs> okay digitally mm-hmm. that's what they mean got it okay yeah. cool um all right so Last but not least on the movie sneak peek category. Least. <laughs> I thought we had promises that we that we made at the Wild We did have a promise. I told you <laughs> I have to mix it up at the end. <laughs> promises, promises, I'm through. I'm with through promises, with. promises now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond and Ray brought to us by uh, Apple TV Plus, which will also be coming out on Friday, um, the 21st of yes. October. Yeah. So who was in this? What is it about? Um, is this the Halloween no. Harvest movie nope. that we've all been waiting for? <laughs> Once you say Halloween, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween Harvest. <laughs> okay. You should write the next Peanuts cartoon with that. <laughs> Sounds like something they would say. The Halloween Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you could watch that. You could watch the Peanuts Halloween special. Yes, <laughs> with the pumpkin. The pumpkin patch. Yes. One of my favorites. Patch. Anyway. It's a classic. All right, yes. Yes. So this is written and directed by Rodrigo Garcia. It's produced by Alfonso Cuaron, among others. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. And it stars Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke and Sophie wow. Okonedo. Among other people, uh-huh. Vondi Curtis Hall shows up here as like some sort of pastor or something. So this is what's happening here. Ethan and Ewan play half-brothers. 
Ewan's character's name is Raymond. And what do you think Ethan's character's name is? Ray. <laughs> they have the same pappy. So why would he have sons with the same name? You know, because he's not a good dad. That's why. Now, Raymond is an optimist when it comes to his father and life, and Ray is a pessimist. Now, they treat each other like they're from different planets. It's that kind of thing. But what's happened is dad has died, and Raymond convinces Ray to attend their father's funeral. So, you know, they hit the road, they go to the funeral home, and, you know, they meet all kinds of people who knew their dad, knew a dad they never met. These people like their dad. Shocking. I mean, this man was racist and everything else. And one of the characters they meet who knew their dad and liked him is played by Sophie. She was his caretaker uh, at the end of his life. But she's like, really? Oh, he was racist? Oh, I know that. <laughs> so, of course, the whole question is, can they reconcile their relationship with themselves and with their dad? Well, are they going to learn things they didn't know about their dad? Will it help them heal the past? All of these different people popping up, what kind of relationships will they make with them? And that's the movie. I mean, I can't do more than that. Okay. Um, I want to go to the music here first, producer. And the reason is, when I was listening to it, Sideways came to mind. Mm. Miles, you didn't tell me you were going to bring this handsome man. (laughs) (laughs) So think of that like jazz score, but this is, I would say, a a slightly more mysterious cousin Mm. of the Sideways music. Okay. Some of jazz quartet might play. They actually have a jazz quartet in the movie. I was like, you, okay. you just can't write this stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because because one of the characters, maybe I won't give that away. It doesn't really matter. One of them might be a musician in hiding, and you know. But I've never seen somebody go to a jazz club, pull out an instrument, and just start playing <laughs> with the quartet <laughs> from their seat. <laughs> that was an interesting choice. Okay. Yeah, like go join right on in. I didn't know this was, you know, a thing. <laughs> an audience participation night. So with that bit of fun, the reason I'm bringing this up is not just to have fun with it, but also to say I think this movie should have been more like Sideways itself. Mm. Bursts of comedy, like unexpected humor that works, paired with incisively written observations of life. That's what I wanted from this. You just replace the wine and impending marriage from sideways with the death of a father. Why not? Instead, everyone here just seemed to be trying. They were just trying. But that's all you see, trying. Mm. It was aimless. Um, The story wasn't really bound by any internal logic. Things just happened just because. Mm. Like, they're, they're trying to be provocative provocative but they weren't i didn't buy that the father was anything they were saying because we never saw the father Mm -hmm. they were just talking about it it might have been useful to show the father Mm -hmm. as well that might have helped so we go oh yeah he was a piece of work Mm. it i just didn't it was just like oh let's have some fun it wasn't fun Mm -hmm. um but if you want a distant and faint echo of sideways maybe or if you love you and and or ethan is this their best work? No. Is it Sophie's best work? Like, even her character, I was like, what? Because you'll see how she meets um, Ray. 
who's the pacifist and the piece of work and all that. Like people are like, oh, you look like your father. He acts like him too. Like the way she's introduced to him and then it changes, then it changes again. I was just like, hmm. it's just a lot of trying here, unfortunately. But if you have a subscription to Apple TV Plus, it's right there. You know, they're not requiring a lot to watch it. You can always start, as I always say, you can always start and stop whenever you'd like. So there you go with Raymond and Ray. All right. So it wasn't quite a harvest holiday, um, Halloween uh, <laughs> movie that I was <laughs> hoping for, but it is an option for you amongst the many options that we explored on this episode of Why Watch That. So as always, guys, thanks for tuning in to Why Watch That, where we help you to navigate through all of the content out in these content streets and find something that you'll love to watch. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. For up-to-date info and to share what's on your watch list, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Why Watch That, and on Twitter at WWT Radio. Also, you can visit us at WhyWatchThat.com. And while you're at it, don't forget to go ahead and rate Why Watch That Radio on iTunes. Let's keep the conversation going. <laughs> <laughs>